this episode or any actual nerd stuff or whatever, uh, except to the degree that I'm single and have a cat. Uh, and I took him to the vet this week. Nothing's wrong with him. He's just, you know, newly adopted and needed his first little check-in. He had to get two vaccines while he was there. They had to be taken 10 minutes apart. And in between his vaccines, he he took a hot dump in the corner of the vet's office. He I don't know if it was a stress poop. It was a protest poop. Uh, I felt powerless. Because how do you, you know, once he's made that decision, what am I supposed to do about <laughs> it? Um, you know, they deal with that. I think my cat probably had one of the less disgusting poop messes that they've dealt with, maybe even that day. But, um, yeah, that was the high and low light of my week. That's where I'm at, everybody. This is what it's like to be cruising into 40 and having a regular week is sometimes your cat shits at the vet's office and you're like, hey, everybody, can you believe it? My week was crazy. If you hear scratching, it's because he's currently freaking out in the background, just dashing around my apartment. Um, oh, kitten zoomies, the best zoomies. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it's always great, but then I'm also worried, like, what is it that you're so desperate for? What is it you frantically seek, my friend? I wish I it could is, help you on this nothing. journey. You just have to, all kittens have ADHD, and they randomly are possessed by the urge to bolt around the house. I wish I was possessed by the urge to do anything other than to fully integrate every part of the mainline Final Fantasy games like into my spinal fluid, but It could you know, be worse. Do you remember you know, you told, well, okay in my defense, this was before you told me you were having a bad day, but do you remember about a week ago I impromptu sent you my thoughts for like, how to make Final Fantasy better as a franchise? I absolutely remember that. I was surprised that it was such a list and we're going to talk a little bit about that list before we get any further. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is the Big Bang Bang Theory. 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 We watched the television show that's actually called The Big Bang Theory. Our name's technically different. And uh, sometimes we talk about the episode. We try to. Uh, But first, yeah, I thought that was was just between us, Kyle. You sending me your secret RPG thoughts. But yeah, it was at least... I think it was more than a 10-point list. But, I mean, I was into it. Uh, what, What put that little bit of lightning in you what what made you get that all out that day well i'll be honest i would have done it regardless it was just the the fact of having someone who i knew i could i mean not that i expected you to be over the moon but i was like you know i can send this to nick and he will at least have thoughts which is a fun thing to have but yeah i was just i was uh what was i somebody was talking about you know how final fantasy had finally made the leap away from, like, turn-based RPG mechanics, you know, in its newest version. And I was like, yeah, and that, to me, that sucks. That's a that's this thing that makes me sad. If anything, they should go in the other direction, and they should double down on the turn-based mechanics, and they should take it back to its roots, and they should look at all of the stuff that the original Final Fantasy game was trying to do, but couldn't accomplish due to, like, graphical and uh and processing limitations of the early systems on which they were designing the game and i thought so what would that actually look like and so i thought about all of the like you know and i'd also been reading a lot of blog posts around uh the original um the original style of dungeons and dragons which is a version of dungeons and dragons that nobody plays anymore like because it's the- too woke 
Yes, because it's too woke. No, they do it because uh, just it was di- different. It was just a very different, like, sort of sandbox experience. Um, a lot less narrative focus, a lot more uh, weird, random, zany encounter, uh, loot the treasure focus. I was like, how much of that could you incorporate into, like, the rules of a turn-based system? And then, like, what other stuff could you do that's just possible now that wasn't then? And I thought it all out, and I wrote a bunch of it up. And there were actually more points. I only sent you the first draft of that list. I continued to think about it for another couple of days. So, so this is uh, yes, who we are. I have are. a problem. This yeah, is what we do. I have a do. problem. You, this, you know what? It's a new season. It's season eight, episode one. Good a time as any to fucking lay out some solid nerd bona fides, and here we are. If at any point you're like a new listener because you're like, oh yeah, season eight is where I started to like that show. Isn't it lucky that some sort of Big Bang fan cast is at where I want to be? Uh, you're it's you're in good hands. All right, we are genuinely just just weird uptight nerd people, and we're here for you. Uh, and, you know, with that, we, we, we keep a fucking tight ship here, so we should really get into the meat of this episode. Kyle, I hope you're ready to go on the latest of a 12-part journey with this wacky cast of characters, because today we just started Season 8, Episode 1, which was officially titled The Locomotion Interruption. Uh, the uh, official, unofficial fan summary reads... Amy and Leonard drive to Arizona together to pick up Sheldon because he had been robbed while on his train trip. Penny has a job interview at Bernadette's company as a pharmaceutical sales rep. Howard has to deal with Stuart having not moved out of his mother's house, especially after she recovered. Um, so, I want this... So I, You know, yeah, there's a couple different subplots here, whatever. Near the end of the episode... Uh, Wallowitz and, and Stuart have a you're not my dad off and I want the two of them to and Bernadette to have a separate show like yeah. if we can let's not talk about any other part of the episode today it doesn't matter because there's a point where where Stuart and Wallowitz yell at each other about who isn't whose dad who isn't the son they wanted to be how they're disappointed and I feel like there's so much that they can work on there and that we're limited to like 30 seconds of it, I think is a real disservice to to society. How did you feel about this episode, Kyle? It was fine. Didn't make me laugh once, but it was by, uh, as far as episodes go, you know, they kept the plot moving and they changed back and forth several times. I was mostly distracted by Penny's new haircut. That was like 90% of my thoughts oh, on this yeah, episode about Before Penny's. I did. I wasn't sure I was gonna, because I was like, is it worth getting into the haircut? It's weird. Sheldon's right. It's weird. Why'd she do it? It's different. Uh. It, I don't, I mean... It, She's allowed to change her hair. It's just, and I don't want to. No, women's appearance is up to me. <laughs> yeah, I start saying I don't want to veer into questionable territory of being like, you know, I don't know. Does she look more or less fuckable now? But uh, I do wonder. What I mostly w- am curious, and there's no way to know. It's like. How much input, like, was this her decision? Was she like, I need a new look, I need to rebrand? Or was the show like, no, because this is what I legitimately thought, but maybe this is being, uh, giving the show too much credit. I legitimately Uh wondered if they're like, okay, Penny, you're now officially, like, hitched 
to Leonard, we can't have anyone continuing to think about how improbable this is. Uh, so we need to make you look just a little less, uh, you know, incredibly hot girl next door and a little more like, you know, yoga mom who has settled down for the long haul. Just a little more, not even less hot, because she's still very, and that, I want to, this is where I want to be careful. She is not less hot, just because she yeah, changed no, her No, emphasize how fuckable she is. That's what you really want to do. You're I don't know. I'm not trying to be problematic know. about how she looks, but let me tell you, she's keeping it tight, and I want to fucking rail her. I don't want to be ambiguous <sighs> about that. There's no good way to... Yes, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking up no matter which direction I go in. But my point is, I feel like they made a d- decision to make her look like somebody's mom now. And that is intended, I think, to make her seem more like domestic and approachable. As opposed to her previous role in the show, which was to be the, the hot, you know, always slightly unattainable one that, you know, while, that Leonard was, dreamed of getting with but had no, had no real hope of ever actually getting with. So, Kyle, you have said in so many more words what I thought when watching the episode and seeing her hair and thinking, oh, this is married life, huh? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, who knows what was going on behind the scenes and whether, well, I was going to say whether there were any, like, serious conscious judgments here, but I guess, you know, she's like a major network TV star. I'm sure there were. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's I, why I, I don't think you get to be like one of the headliners of one of the biggest network shows on the planet and cut your hair without like significant negotiations taking place. I, I remember being in a high school play and the lead got a haircut during production and did he ever get a talking to? Let me tell you, I can't imagine what Kaylee Coco would have to go through with who who the fuck is the guy that directs all these, Sandrowski or something like that? I don't know. Yes, yeah, Mark, Mark Sandrowski. Sandra. I hate that I know that. I didn't look that up. Oh, God, I said it, and I was like, that's probably just a stupid thing I said, right? That's not what it actually is. No, no, I know that much. You know, it's only... (laughs) Kyle, wouldn't it be... Isn't it weirder how after... We've been watching this now for seven full years, going on eight, and I feel like I know surprisingly little about the production and background and development of the. That's you know the tr- that's just because we're so bad and unperfect. If we were actually doing our jobs and we're committed to making this a real podcast about the show, of we're not. Course, that's not our lo- job. Come on. <laughs> of course, most of what we would be doing would be delving into the background details so that we could provide some kind. You know, we would be watching these shows on DVD so we could watch the director's commentary afterwards, and we were pr- providing color. And, you know, nuance and, yeah. you know, behind the scenes facts for all of our impressionable listeners. We're not that. We're not those guys, no. though. We don't have those kind of chops. Here's a real example of the heat I bring. Hey, did you see Steven Root showed up in this one? He's fun. Boy, Absolutely. I, I like that guy. <laughs> He's now yes, Edward another... James almost. But... No. Wait, no. Why do I say God damn it. I did the three. You meant James Earl Jones. Didn't yes, you? I certainly did. I don't James know what's weirder that I knew that. Or, I mean, I guess because Edward James almost has not been on the show. If you had, they'd make a big deal out of it. I said it, and then I was like, "Wait, no, that's that's Mister that's Mister Grizzleface." Yes. Um, again, Stephen Root's great. His and uh, Penny's interaction was probably my favorite moment in the show when they bond over how terrified they both are of Bernadette. Yeah, and again, they put Penny in a pantsuit. I think every they're obviously rebranding her, and I just can't imagine her. You know, has she ever worn a pantsuit at any prior point in any previous season? 
I hate to be a crazy person, but I'm about to be. Let's just keep talking and vamping as if everything is totally normal. Okay, so this episode came out September 22nd, 2014. You know, that'd be too... That'd be too late. Well, no, no. I wonder if this was like NBC leading up to the 2016 election being like, look... This is sexy and powerful to have short blonde hair. Do you think they were trying to incept people into voting for Hillary Clinton? I don't know. No, that's, yes, that's the canonical explanation. (laughs) That's, I just saying, you know, it's the election season never ends, right? And all of a sudden this character makes some, some big choices that you and I, I mean, I'm sure there have been all sort of weird stylistic snafus uh, that have happened that we've just paid no attention to because that's not not within our wheelhouse. But for us both to be like, the fuck's going on, Kaylee Cuoco? <laughs> like, yeah, I think I think so. I think this was a psyop, and I'm eager to see how uh, at some point she she is holding a baby and turns to the screen and she she says, "Look, I'm just like your abuelita." <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess abuela, but yeah. Um, Boy. Uh, anyway. I, yeah, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going like, this was back in 2014 when, of course, nobody cared about the massive opioid epidemic caused by overprescription of par- pharmaceuticals, uh, of which Penny is definitely going to be complicit in going forward. Yeah, well, okay, so here's the the briefest slice of, of real life coming in. Is so the basically this plot that because we've obviously been more scattershot than normal. Um, one of the plots of the day is Penny has apparently either given up on her acting ambitions again or just you know needs a fucking job. And uh, Bernadette is setting her up with an interview, I think, with her own boss to be a pharmaceutical sales representative. And um, uh, there, I, I, I very, very, very briefly just to say to this lady, you want to know what? She was a pharmaceutical sales representative, and I'm looking into the meeting they had, and I was like, I bet that's just what it's like. These shady backroom deals to talk about what friggin' products they have to get on and off the market before the, the, the different side effects come out. And then I just realized that's actually a conversation that happened between Penny and Bernadette that I liked a lot more. Stephen Root and Penny, instead, they just talk about how scared they are of Bernadette and end up bonding over that. Yes. Which is cute. It's actually, uh, I'm glad it turned out that way, because aside from that, uh, it is just Penny bombing an interview because, I don't know, in spite of being someone who seems totally gregarious or whatever, she nonetheless is uptight and thinks she's going to fuck this whole thing up and then totally does. But I guess, is, is you know, that this part slid off my brain. Is this what she does now? Is this season eight, Penny? I, that... Yeah, I think she she got the job. So we don't know how long she'll keep the job. Yeah. But yes, the new transition is Penny is no longer a... Like, again, uh, not just did they try to make her more approachable, they also tried to make her... I think they were just, like, done with... And again, maybe this was it's... actually, like, Kaylee Cuoco's, like, demand for the show. Maybe she was like, I'm tired of playing someone who is completely incompetent and dependent on her looks and a man for financial support. You've got to give me some kind of like, like level of making me an actual person with agency on the show. But regardless, their way of doing that was to turn her into a pharmaceutical rep, one of the most famously soulless jobs. Well, it is. And that's why I'm going fucking full-blown 
conspiracy theory here. So you're like, short blonde hair and pantsuits are cool and sexy. You know what else is great? The pharmaceutical industry. If you've got connections with that, that's not really a big deal, regardless of what side you're on it. People are going to buy pills anyway, so just normalize that. Kyle, it was... It was coming for so long, I didn't watch a show at the time. I wouldn't have seen it at the time. But anyway, I hear that Alex Jones has been in some trouble. And if we can maybe start sending money to him, <laughs> I just have that sudden feeling in my heart. But yes, that's she gets a job, I guess. And now we're going to deal with that. And it's going to be totally normal. And, you know, we talked about this so much more than what I thought was going to be the more captivating thing is that Wallowitz concerns that um Stuart the comic book guy is either replacing him as son or lover Raj by the way uh maybe it's cuz he is having like what seems to be a totally normy normal healthy like sexual relationship right now uh is a very good foil to describe how none of this is really objectively weird in that Wallowitz if anyone is being a fucking freak about how oh. worried he is no, 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 no. It gets no. Well, weird. It gets weird, but Kyle, please go ahead. I started to say, uh, well, I guess, yeah, it depends on what you're, maybe I'm just age shaming or look shaming. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm sorry. You're right. It's just, it's hard because the entire joke around uh, Wallowitz's mother's character, this entire show has been, we never see her, but we know she's enormous and disgusting uh, and annoying. And so when you then hear that there's this other guy who's sidling up to her, uh, it's not only weird, I would say it's suspicious. Like, this is a full... I still... I refuse to see the movie Saltburn, just because I hate overhyped movies as, uh, as a general rule. But, you know, I, I, I'm told that movie is tub, about... Come tub, come tub, <laughs> That's yeah. all I know about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm told that movie is about some poor guy, like, weaseling his way into a rich family in order to steal wealth. And so my first thought watching this was like, ah, so this is just Jewish salt burn. Yeah. Come tub. Wait, do you mean parasite? Or? I guess a parasite is also that, right? But the well, You said Jewish salt burn. But isn't the movie already salt burn? Yes, but they're not Jewish in Saltburn. Wallowitz is Jewish. so it's, Oh, you mean so, the TV show is like that. I didn't know what the fuck you were talking about when you I'm said this sorry. is like Jewish Saltburn. And I was like, yes, boy! The, <laughs> yeah, Wall, uh, not Wallowitz. Stewart is attempting a, a Jewish Saltburn. Okay, yeah. I mean, possibly. It's So the thing is, is do I have this little inkling in that like trickles up my spine saying... Oh, yeah, this is obviously some form of elder abuse. Yes, yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> but also, you know, I've been doing criminal defense for years. I've got the cold, dead heart of a lawyer. I see anyone talk to an old person, and I'm like, there's no reason for that. You're taking their money. <laughs> but I'm trying to give Stuart the benefit of the doubt. He seems, again, just happy to have a friend with how, like, miserable Wallowitz's mom is all the time. Like, even if she's just awful, I'm happy that she seems to be in whatever bit of, like, whatever was making her so miserable has been alleviated to the point where she's no longer taking it out on everyone around her. Aw, man. What? No, I see. No, you're right. You're right. Now now this is, now it's like a different move. Now it's because Stuart is also famously, like, borderline suicidal and Mm -hmm. dejected all the time. So now it's like an indie dramedy about, like, two... 
uh, two incredibly depressed, lonely people, you know, at very different points in their lives, reaching out to each other and find now it's a fucking Alexander Payne movie or something. God damn it. Oh, Maybe man. I am on Stuart's side. Ah, oh, yeah. I'm glad that I could open up your heart to this, you know, <laughs> this, this kooky little relationship. Um, but anywho, that's nothing really comes of that, I guess, except, you know, no, mention- we still know. Except, again, just meta. Is Stuart just a regular mem- cast member now? Is that where this is going? You know, I gotta hope so. Because I, you know, it's. I don't find him charming in the i guess you could say conventional sense but as far as like being a lovable nerd goes i think he's killing it i think he like does a lot better than i mean most of the main nerds i don't hate him the way i hate johnny galecki like by exposure i finally just accepted that oh yeah i guess he's gonna be in this show and i have to deal with that but Stuart, no every time he's on screen i'm like oh here comes my lovable sad boy and so i wouldn't mind if he's around regularly but yeah, I guess also that maybe the main plot of this is probably the least worth talking about is Sheldon's big train journey he was taking at the last end of the end, end of the last season abruptly ends because he's in a sleeping car and gets robbed and then he's running around without any pants in a train station begging for help and um what I thought was happening is he gets picked up by the police and it becomes clear that he is being treated as a crime victim. I was 100% ready for him to be in a cell. For vagrancy? Uh, that would have been awesome. For something like that, yeah. And for, like, especially with the people in the, the bus station, and it's it's they're obviously doing it for a joke. Sheldon is running around telling them how he's a physics genius, and you can ask him about, you know, the difference between any of these particles, and he can tell you. And, of course, people are like, yeah, buddy, and keep running off. But, you know, if he were, like, up against the possibility of some sort of, like, involuntary hospitalization and, like, Leonard had to rush down with credentials and be like, no, no, he's just a misunderstood genius, ah! Uh, but, no, he absolutely, the cops are like, no, he's he's white enough, <laughs> we're, we're gonna take him seriously. And um, so Leonard comes down to pick him up. Penny has this interview and new lifestyle the haircut brings with it to deal with and so she can't go with him on the trip oh he's in arizona i think i didn't mention that and so it kind of comes out of nowhere on leonard's end where he's like hey penny is there any reason i can't bring amy and penny says no that's fine and he seems put off by that i don't know like is like is is, is he trying to he's like oh don't leave me with another woman car, yeah you didn't want to be in the car ride with amy for I just six hours. But I, just, I don't understand what objection he thought Penny would bring up. Like, yeah, you, you better not fuck her. Like, no, they're, I don't get it. Okay, that's a fair point. But they go along together, and the whole reason she comes along, it, well, not the whole reason, but the, what it turns into is that she's very upset that when Sheldon is in some sort of serious crisis, he reaches out to Leonard first and then doesn't even tell Amy. But... There's not a lot of action, you could say, to this plot. Instead, they go and pick him up. And the whole time, Amy's, you know, silently fuming because she wants to know what gives. And on the ride back home, Sheldon admits, Oh, I didn't want you to know because I didn't want you to know that I failed and have you think less of me. And, you know, it's just a standard, Oh, I wouldn't ever think that you're crazy of course i know you're not perfect and then sheldon's like oh she doesn't think i'm perfect but that's that's it um and the whole time leonard has 
no real purpose other than to drive and to go like, meh, that's my Sheldon. So that's why we saved that one for last, I guess. I don't know, unless yeah, you have but, any other thoughts about it. No, the only thing is, again, one of the famous fake-outs is there's a moment where he, he tells mm. Amy to cover her ears, and then he tells Leonard, okay, as soon as we get home, I want to... Uh, what did, he says it in an annoying way, have coitus, having coitus with yeah. Amy. And then when she doesn't react, he's like, oh, good, she can't actually hear us. Uh, I thought that was a fun joke, actually. I thought okay. that was cute. Both because the, the setup tricked me. I thought that was going to be his, like, he's like, all right, I survived what is a life or death experience. I understand who I want to devote my body to. I'm going to go plow Amy later. Didn't go that way. <laughs> yeah, I also think it would have been better. Uh, like, I was, that's, I guess, why I was annoyed, because I thought that was going to, like, again, character development, showing that he actually changed. Like, yeah. Like, it's super, like, he comes back from this train trip. I think we even guessed this at the end of the last episode. Is he actually going to change in, at any, in any meaningful way? And the answer is not discernibly based on this. Correct. Yeah. I, any, any sort of development, exactly. And I guess. We're foolish to expect that. But, Kyle, anything else about the actual episode to get into? We jumped all around. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add. No, I'm good. No? All right. I'm happy Stephen Root was here. So, 10 out of 10 amazing. Well, then, since we've got through this thing that, you know, is I don't think is as torturous as it once was to watch, but that we still... I, I wouldn't say, hey, everyone, you go, need to go see this episode... It's time we recommend things that you should watch. And Kyle, I, uh, I'm trying not to recommend the one I have in mind, but I am ready. But would you like to go first or shall I? I'll go first. I want to recommend uh, a movie I saw. I saw it like, it's, it's, it's really a Christmas movie. You should have watched it over Christmas, but it, it's fine. You can Thanks for nothing, buddy. Yeah, I, I waited too long. But anyway, I watched a movie called The Holdovers. Mm. Uh, now streaming on Peacock. Again, I, I think it's what made me uh, think of Alexander Payne earlier because I was thinking of recommending it. Great little movie. Uh, Paul Giamatti plays like uh, a bitter old cynical uh, teacher at this really fancy private prep school for boys in like the 1970s. Or maybe the late 1960s. I don't know. Vietnam. Vietnam is going on in the Friggin' damn time. It's, yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a plot point that Vietnam is still happening. But anyway, Paul Giamatti is just like a, you know, I, I've always liked him as an actor. thought he was clever and good. And in this one, he plays a really, really believable, just crusty old teacher obsessed with... Uh, with like the classics like with you know roman and greek antiquity and history and literature and stuff and none of his students could give less of a shit and it annoys him so much that he is mean to all of them Uh, and in return they make fun of him for being you know fat and having like a lazy eye and being discernibly smelly at all times but uh over the course of a holiday a couple of kids do not get picked up from school, um, which apparently happens every year because it's a boarding school. They don't talk about how gay everybody must be at this boarding school, by the way, but I'm assuming they're all secretly banging they're, each other. They're so gay they don't even think to mention it. That's the problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anyway, 
So a couple of the kids are forced to stay over, and eventually all those kids get to go on a special field trip, and only one kid is left. And so it's him and this one miserable kid and, like, the lady who runs the cafeteria all together in this, like, giant boarding school by themselves over the holidays. And, you know, from that point, you know, they all slowly warm each other's hearts and make them, you know, feel recognize learn to recognize the humanity each other and it's really kind of touching while still being pretty funny overall nice and incredibly i think what i liked about it is it's not a film that feels um cartoon it feels real in a really real like all of the performances are pretty grounded in and their emotions like are like it's about people who are kind of miserable but good people anyway particularly paul giamatti's character feels like you know I didn't have exactly this type of teacher when I was in college, um, but I had teachers who were similar enough that I sort of was like, this This is a real dude. This could have been a real dude. And so to see him, like, you know, reveal that behind, you know, his miserable bastard facade, all what he really wants to do is, you know, what's best for the kids in his class and to teach him the only lessons he has to teach them is pretty awesome. Aww. Well, I've heard a lot of good things about this movie while somehow also not having any idea what it's actually about. So thank you for giving me some understanding of what to seek out and look forward to here. Well, so on my end, the movie I was trying to not recommend was going to be Oppenheimer. And the only reason I was trying to avoid it is because, you know, it's a big friggin' like best picture nominated movie. If you want to see it, you've already heard about it and you're going to go see it. It's a white man movie. Of course, Nick is going to recommend the movie about the white man made for white men by the white man director. That's correct. Uh, I look at Killian Murphy, and first of all, I feel just this bleachy sense of pride wash through me. And then as every consecutive white man enters the screen, I get harder and harder until eventually... Uh, blood gushes out of my genitals and I, I choke and drown on it. But uh, that's not what I'm going to recommend. Because like I said, yeah, you can go seek it out as part of the super culture, I guess. Uh, instead, I'm going to recommend a more thoughtful little indie movie which came up like a PTSD flashback when Kyle said the word Vietnam, which is Rambo, part two, first blood, part two. <laughs> Um, oh hell yeah because of vagrancy well so the first oh wait that's the first one you're recommending the shitty no i'm sorry sorry shitty shitty what kyle i take it what just just give your that's i shouldn't shit all over your recommendation tell us all what you love about rambo 2 so i'm sorry first blood 2 john rambo jesus christ so it's i've now seen the first three rambo movies for the longest time, I'd only ever seen the first one. And, you know, the first one is still kind of a stupid action movie. But it's kind of somber. It's it's about a man just wandering the, the Pacific Northwest. He's, he's a drifter after Vietnam. He doesn't have anyone who loves him or anywhere to go. And w- wouldn't you know it, some local cops, townies, just start fucking with him. And he freaks out. And in the book version, my understanding is that at the end of Rambo 1, uh, he kills himself because there's this recognition that, like, no, he is so battle-hardened and so broken that he can't really function in society. This this weird 
goddamn jungle murder shit is all he knows and and he is he is murdered in what is considered a mercy killing in the film version he goes to federal prison for blasting a bunch of cops away which sets it up for rambo 2 when wouldn't you know it goddamn you know vietnam may be over in terms of political popularity but it's not over in terms of dads who couldn't get over it and need something to fucking jerk off to when you're in a theater. This movie is insane. I'm not recommending it because if it's good politics, because let me tell you, I am confident, and I said it when I was watching it with my friend Mac, I was like, maybe I'm being uptight, but I feel like they really didn't translate any of the Vietnamese because they wanted to go out of their way to dehumanize these people. <laughs> and uh, I maintain that. It's it's disgusting. It is a crazy movie. And it's it is, I think, I mean, I am confident... It was made specifically just to cater to people who, and I'm serious, like the Vietnam War becomes less and less politically relevant. There is still, though, an ongoing, like, bring our POWs home, like POW, MIA movement. And it just taps into that. And all these different people representing, you know, kind of um, cartoonishly extreme or cartoonishly simplified political positions like bring in rambo because they're like god damn it rambo nobody know how to win vietnam and we did it all wrong but it was also the greatest thing we could have done because this is the best country and so we need you to go to vietnam and fix everyone's mistakes and you got to bring our boys home but oh no then there comes in the 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 head government honcho and he doesn't wear a uniform he's an office boy he relies on his computers and he's like you're there on a recon mission rambo you're not bringing any of those boys home because they're not even there to pick up well god but they are and he tries to bring them home whoa this creates conflict within government because rambo's the only guy who knows knows what the, the solution for vietnam is but don't get me wrong it's not just about bringing back some POWs. It's about murdering, like, dozens and dozens of just rant... Like, it, it, there was a point where I really lost track why he was killing people anymore. <laughs> like, and also, wouldn't you know, the Russians are involved just because... Just because they are, there, there doesn't seem to be a bigger part to that other than that, like, yeah, we never really broke up with that. That's just my Russian accent. We never really broke up with them, you know? We all just think communism is pretty cool. And Rambo's like, motherfucker, I'm going to kill each and every last one of you, too, because I think communism stinks while we're at it. And uh, there's... Spoiler alert. Like, the plot is meaningless. There's just a point near the end where, like, Rambo's in a helicopter just circling a camp like launching rocket after rocket into individual vietnam soldiers and machine gunning down anything that exists in between and he's just screaming and circling and i don't know why any of it's happening anymore and the reason i'm recommending it is just like rambo is something that was just always in the background growing up like he had completely permeated the culture. I always knew about him being the, the tough, muscly, machine gun-wielding, uh, intense guy that, of course, was a hero somehow. But then actually, like, watching it for the first time as an adult, just being like, good Christ. Like, where were we at that this was, like, the thing that people couldn't get enough of? Because it's it's weird. It's you just Not only could... Well, sorry. No, go ahead. 
I was gonna say, not only could they not uh, get enough of it, but my understanding is um, this genre of film, this vet goes back to Vietnam and, and wins the Vietnam War for the Americans after we, you know, lost it in real life. Uh, genre, like, basically launched Chuck Norris's career because he made a bunch yeah. of knockoff movies from these movies called the missing in action movies. And he made like three of those in the span of like two years, which are basically the same plot as Rambo two. And that's like how he got famous. So I was watching this with friend and, and occasional shout out getter Mac. And I've, I've decided that our, our two person club of watching these movies together is the Ramboys. Oh, um, that's great. Are you going to make that podcast? Ooh, maybe we could have a we could have a little spinoff because I I don't think we're stopping. I think we're gonna finish these these stupid movies. Um, yeah, I will. The craziest thing about I mean the Rocky movies. If you think those like alternate in tone between seek between installments, you have nothing on every single fucking Rambo movie. Feels completely different from every other Rambo movie, and it is wild. It's true. Yeah, I've even you know gotten into Rambo three and his fierce war against the soviets to liberate afghanistan uh that's a whole other thing um but as far as like the the pow and going back to rescue them plot that's something where because you know i myself am just some fucking america hating commie i've watched that ken burns vietnam war documentary a couple of times now and there's a part where one of the talking heads describes the you know bring them home movement or whatever it was called and, you know, he's not, like, downplaying the tragedy of people left behind, but the way he describes it is, like, this group acts as if the whole Vietnam War was about some Vietnamese soldiers coming into the U.S. and kidnapping Marines. Like, it's like they don't know how they got there in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. And then I, I might have to rewatch the third one, because that one... It just didn't have the same intensity as two, which left me in a state of confusion and shock. So, no, it, it it it's it's generally considered the worst one. It's also, funnily enough, the most. It was Rambo three when it came out was the most expensive action movie ever made. That came up at the time. That's crazy to me. Yeah, so Rambo two. You know, you can watch that, or you know, you can watch Oppenheimer, which I thought was incredible. <laughs> Couldn't believe how much I loved Oppenheimer. Well, Kyle, we did it again. I just recommend recommend two white-on-white male movies for dads. Nothing weird about that, especially after talking about how I think Kaylee Cuoco's outfit was a psyop to set up preparation for the first female president, and that didn't work out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go complaining about how frogs are gay now or whatever. Sounds like a plan, my man. Sounds like a plan. I'm sorry, everyone. This is me now. 2024. <laughs>